The House of Bondage by Rav Hanoch Waxman Towards the end of Parashat Bo, as part of a series of legal imperatives that close out the story of the actual exodus from Egypt, Moshe commands the people to remember this day. And Moshe said to the people, Remember this day that you went out, Yatsatem, from Egypt, from the house of bondage, Beit Avadim. For with a mighty hand God brought you out, Hotsi Hashem Etchem. A few verses later, the Torah presents a similar formulation. When faced with an inquiring son who wants to know what all the laws and rituals are about, who asks the brute question of, What is this? We are supposed to respond, With a mighty hand God brought us out, Hotsi Otanu, from Egypt, from the house of bondage, Beit Avadim. These repeated references to God's mighty hand and Yitziah, the leaving or being brought out of Egypt, comprise not only the rationale for the surrounding legal material, but also an appropriate literary and thematic note on which to conclude the story of the Exodus. All the way back at the burning bush, God had informed Moshe that Paro will let the children of Israel go only after being forced to do so by a mighty hand. Likewise, throughout the story of the Exodus, the text utilizes the image hand of God to denote the cause of the plagues. Re-emphasizing the image near the end of the story is not surprising. Similarly, the verb stem yatsa, meaning leaving, going, removal, etc., assumes the role of a dominant motif in the text beginning with Moshe's receiving the warning prefacing the death of the firstborn, which is the start of the action of the actual exodus. Utilizing the verb in various permutations, the Torah informs us both of God's going out into Egypt to perform the plague of the firstborn and of Moshe's storming out from the presence of Paro. Sometimes we are told of the taking out of dough by the Israelites from Egypt, and other times of the prohibition of leaving the house during the night of the plague. However, most commonly the verb refers to the leaving or taking out of the Israelites. Altogether, in a stylistic flourish that dovetails nicely with the content of the story of leaving Egypt, the term appears a remarkable 18 times. Once again, finding the term at the tail of the story fails to surprise. The image fits both stylistically and thematically. In contrast, the phrase Beit Avadim, here translated as house of bondage, presents somewhat of a problem. Unlike its partners in the triad of images presented in these summary verses, the phrase Beit Avadim has never appeared before in the story of the Exodus. In its place, we might naturally have expected a similar reference to Egypt or slavery. Alternatively, if for some reason the Torah prefers a more elaborate phrase, we may reasonably have expected a descriptive phrase used at some earlier point in the narrative, something like, from under the burdens of Egypt, the hand of Egypt, or some sort of reference to affliction and depression, would have seemed to have constituted a natural choice. In fact, the coining of the unique phrase Beit Avadim, the house of bondage, here at the end of the narrative, seems part of a larger trend present in the latter part of the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt. As mentioned previously, the final stage of the exodus begins with Moshe's receiving and conveying Paro's final warning. At this point, the topic shifts from instructions for Paro to instructions for the children of Israel. God delivers to Moshe the instructions for that fateful night, the instructions for the selecting, slaughtering, and consuming of the Paschal Lamb. Concurrent with this shift, the term bait, meaning house or household, enters the narrative. God commands the children of Israel to take each man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. If there are insufficient souls in the household to consume a lamb, 
one joins with his neighbor, literally the neighbor near his house. The blood of the lamb must be placed on the doorposts and lintel of the house, in which the lamb will be consumed. The blood serves as a sign on the houses, and causes God to pass over the homes of the children of Israel, thereby sparing their firstborn. Finally, no one can go out of the door of his house until morning. The centrality of the term bait continues into the legal portions of the narrative, delineating the rituals that commemorate the exodus. The prohibition of unleavened bread is phrased as a requirement to expunge it from your houses, and a few verses later as a prohibition of finding it in your houses. Likewise, the laws of the paschal sacrifice for future generations include the requirement to eat it in one house and the prohibition of taking it out of the house. Altogether, in its various guises, the term appears 15 times in the narrative of the actual exodus and its accompanying legal instructions. But this itself seems to constitute the nub of the problem. While we may no longer need to wonder about the strange phrase Beit Avadim, house of bondage, we do need to wonder about the centrality of the term and symbol Bait to the actual exodus. Why does the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the leaving of Egypt by virtue of God's mighty hand, revolve around the object, theme, and literary image of Bait? In other words, how does house, as both object and symbol, connect to the fundamentals of the story? Back in Sefer Breshit, the Torah presented the story of the destruction of Sodom and the rescue of Lot. Like the story of the Exodus, the narrative revolves around the verb stem yatsa, both textually and thematically. The angels sent to rescue Lot advise him to take out, hotse, his family from Sodom, before the moment of destruction arrives. Likewise, when Lot procrastinates, the angels grab hold of him and take him out, by Yotzi'uhu, setting him outside the city. Similarly, the men of Sodom previously demand the bringing out, Hotzi'em, of Lot's guests. Lot goes out, Vayetze, to negotiate, and offers to bring out Otzia, his two virgin daughters. Altogether, in the course of describing the various negotiations and movements of Lot throughout the story, the text utilizes the term Yitzia eight times. Interestingly enough, in this other Yitzia story, what might be thought of as Yitziat Sodom, the leaving of Sodom, the text and story also contain the term house, bait. Lot invites the angels into his house, and eventually persuades them to come into his house. Likewise, the men of Sodom immediately surround the house to demand the bringing out of the guests. Much of the ensuing action involves the setting of the house and its component parts. Lot insists that the men should not be harmed, as they have entered the shadow of his roof. When the people of Sodom try to break down the door, the angels draw Lot into the house, close the door, and then smite the men clustered around the entrance to the house, petach habait, with blinding, making it impossible to find the entrance. On the thematic plane, when Lot is taken out from the city by the angels, he is in fact taken out of his house, his previous place of refuge, from the danger of the mob just outside the entrance to his home. This last point should make us realize that we have stumbled upon far more than an overlap of imagery between the story of the Exodus and the story of the rescue of Lot. In fact, we have here two stories of Yitziah, of being brought out by God. In both stories, the dual imagery of leaving and house plays a prominent role. On the thematic plane, in both stories, a family unit, the households of the Israelites in Egypt and the family of Lot in Sodom, face danger right outside their front doors. Just as Lot and his family face danger right outside the entrance to their house and are trapped inside, 
so too the children of Israel are ordered not to go out of the entrance to your houses and are trapped inside. Just as Lot and his family are saved from both the mob and the destructive plague that has been visited upon the mob outside their door, so too the children of Israel are saved from the destructive agent, the plague of the firstborn that reigns outside their door. Following both stories chronologically brings us to a third and crucial element of the parallel. Before daybreak, the angels pressure Lot to leave, telling him to get up. But Lot delays, Vayit ma'ama. At this point we are told the following, And the men seized Vayachaziku, his hand, and the hands of his wife and two daughters, in God's mercy upon him, and they brought him out and placed him outside the city. Lot's nighttime order to leave and his exit are forced upon him. Likewise, the order for the children of Israel to leave Egypt occurs sometime before dawn. After God strikes the Egyptian firstborn in the middle of the night, Paro summons Moshe and Aharon and tells them to get up and leave. Just as in the story of Sodom, Lot is forced to leave without a second for delay. So to here, the Egyptians urged Batechazak, the people on, hurrying them to leave the land. In only the second usage in the Bible of the word mitmameh, meaning delay, we are told that the Israelites had no time for delay and were expelled from Egypt. Furthermore, the key terms used to structure this forced exit parallel, vayachaziku and vatechazak, are both based upon the verb stem chazak, connoting strength, power, or force. This, of course, is the same stem that serves as the basis of the phrase yad chazaka, the mighty hand that God uses to smite the Egyptians and redeem the Israelites. In fact, when reassuring Moshe after Paro's initial stubborn behavior and crackdown, God explicitly links the mighty hand of redemption with the concept of forced exit. God promises that as a consequence of the divine mighty hand, Paro will expel the people with a mighty hand. In other words, the force and strength, Vatechazak, by which Egypt hurriedly expels the Israelites, is but a manifestation of the divine mighty hand, Yad Chazaka. So too, and even more blatantly, in the case of Yitziat Sodom, the divine emissaries have previously sent their hand, smitten, Hiku, the people of Sodom, and declared their status as divine emissaries sent to destroy Sodom. They are the mighty hand of God, parallel to the destroyer that roams across Egypt, smiting the firstborn. When the angels forcefully seize the hands of Lot and his family, they no doubt use their hands. In other words, it is angelic hands, a physical manifestation and symbol of the mighty hand of the divine that performs the plague, the destruction, and the forced exit of Lot, just as later on in Egypt. But that is not all. In commenting on the fact that Lot served his guests unleavened bread, matzah, Rashi pithily states, it was Pesach. This comment highlights yet another parallel to the story of the Exodus, the story of Yitziat Sidom opens with the angels' evening-time arrival in Sodom. They promptly enter Lot's house, termed by Lot in his invitation, Beit Avdechem, the house of your servant, and engage in a repast of matzah. As evening blends into night, the people of Sodom gather around and the action ensues. This, of course, eerily resembles the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. The children of Israel, Avadim, slaves in Egypt, gather in their houses as evening blends into night, and consume matzah. As evening turns into night, the redemption ensues. In other words, our two Yitziat stories also have similar settings and props. Just as the setting of Yitziat Sodom involves evening time, the house of an evid, servant, and unleavened bread, 
so too the setting of Yitziat Mitzrayim. In a kind of pun on our starting point, the children of Israel are in fact literally taken out from Beit Avadim, not the house of bondage, but the house of slaves. To put all of these points and texts together, we can summarize the complex overlap between the story of the Exodus, Yitziat Mitzrayim, and the story of the rescue of Lot, Yitziat Sidom, by grouping the various parallels around the three images we began with. First, the imagery of leaving, the inability to go outside the house due to the danger and divinely wrought destruction outside, being taken out, rescued from a plagued place, the prominence of the verb stem yatsa throughout the story. Second, the mighty hand, forced exit sometime during the night, near daybreak, no time for delay, God's rescue from a plagued and destroyed place. And third, the house of bondage, Beit Avadim, the setting of evening, unleavened bread, and a house of servant or slave, the protective role of refuge in that house, the rescue of family units, the prominence of the word house throughout the story. By now, we no longer need wonder about the prominence of the term and symbol bite in the story of the Exodus. Quite obviously, house comprises part of a paradigm shared by both Yitziat Mitzrayim and Yitziat Sedom. To phrase this a little differently, and perhaps more radically, Apparently, God and the Torah have modeled the leaving of Egypt upon the leaving of Sodom. But this explains nothing. If anything, we seem to have moved from the frying pan to the fire. Beforehand, we faced merely the problem of the connection between house and a story of leaving by virtue of God's mighty hand. Now we face the problem of the reason for the modeling, the inner meaning of the parallel between leaving Sodom and leaving Egypt. As pointed out above, as part of the forced exit component of the parallel, both stories contain the rare term mitmamea, meaning delaying or lingering. When the angels order Lot to leave, he lingers. Only their firm grasp upon his arm forces Lot out of Sodom. In contrast, the usage of the phrase in the story of the Exodus carries no such implication of willful lingering. We are simply told that since there was no time for lingering, and hence no time for the dough to rise, the children of Israel baked their dough into unleavened bread. The absence of any particular reason for Lot's delay implies that the lingering stems from an inner impulse, not a practical need to prepare supplies. This theme, Lot's difficulty in parting with Sodom, picks up speed as the story moves along. After the angels physically remove him from Sodom, his rescuers give him a threefold instruction. Warning him of being swept up in the incipient destruction, they tell him to flee for his life, not to look back, and finally, to get to the mountains, somewhere off the plain. But Lot refuses to follow the third order. He tells the angels that he can't flee to the mountains, lest some evil befall him and he die. Following this strange explanation, Lot requests to flee to a small city nearby, and the angels grant his request. Apparently, whatever drew Lot into the area of Sodom, and whatever attracted him to Sodom itself still beats deep within him. He cannot bear to part, and wishes to stay nearby. What for Lot seems difficult turns out to be downright impossible for his wife. She violates the angel's second instruction and looks back. In accord with their warning, she's swept up in the destruction of Sodom and turned into a pillar of salt. The point seems to be that being rescued from Sodom, leaving Sodom, carries the implicit challenge of breaking with Sodom. The angels command Lot to part with Sodom not just physically, but also mentally, Lot's lingering, his desire to remain nearby in one of the cities of the plain, his wife's looking back, 
and Lot's eventual retreat into a mountain cave all signify the fundamental failure of Lot and his family to part with Sodom. If so, the paralleling of Yitziat Mitzrayim to Yitziat Sodom highlights the presentation of the same challenge to the children of Israel, the newly freed slaves. Can they break with Egypt? Can their fleeing from Egypt and slavery become a full-fledged parting with their lives as slaves in Egypt and their exposure to Egyptian culture? When they leave, can they truly become, as God has put it in his instructions to Moshe, a people that knows that I am the Lord? Will they give themselves over wholeheartedly to the service of the Lord that constitutes the rationale for Paro's freeing them? Or will they continue to be Egyptian slaves, forever entrenched in an identity determined by their experience in Egypt, and eternally pining for the familiar surroundings of their former home? In other words, the paralleling of the two stories serves to raise the crucial questions that confront the Israelites during their desert journey. In elaborating on the parallel between the exodus from Egypt and the rescue of Lot, I chose to utilize the labels Yitziat Mitzrayim and Yitziat Sedom. Theoretically, given the centrality of the Paschal Lamb to the events of the night of the Exodus, and the parallel of that night to the night of Sodom, we could have chosen different terminology. For example, some interpreters have recently begun to refer to Pesach Mitzrayim and Pesach Sodom. However, for obvious reasons I eschewed this choice. The story of Sodom contains none of the symbols of the Paschal sacrifice itself, neither the lamb nor the blood. In fact, we may think of it as a story of Yitziah, of leaving, God's mighty hand and the imagery of Bait, minus whatever it is that the Paschal Lamb contributes to the story the second time around. This constitutes the crucial difference between the two stories. But what do the lamb and blood on the house accomplish? What do they add to the story? After the fourth plague, the plague of the swarming gnats or beasts, Arov, Paro offers a compromise. He suggests to Moshe that the people need not bother with journeying into the desert and can instead sacrifice to their god right at home in Egypt. Moshe replies that this is impossible. The Israelites will sacrifice the Toeva of Egypt to their god. The Egyptians will never stand for this and will surely stone the people. The mysterious term Toeva, best translated as untouchable, has already appeared in the context of Egyptian-Israelite relations. Yosef instructed his brothers to inform Paro that they are shepherds. Yosef hopes that since shepherding, the keeping of sheep and goats is Tavat Mitzrayim, untouchable or abomination to the Egyptians, Paro will settle his brothers in the outlying land of Goshen. This brings us back to the Paschal sacrifice. As pointed out by many commentaries, the ritual of the Paschal offering clearly plays off of the concept of the untouchable of Egypt. The procuring of the lamb from either the goats or sheep, guarding it until the 14th of the month, and the mass slaughter and roasting by every household will surely strike the Egyptians as an untouchable act. Placing the blood of the untouchable on your house as a sign to your god surely violates Egyptian sensibilities. But what is untouchable and abominable about the keeping of sheep and goats or their sacrifice to God? What does Moshe intend when he tells Paro that this kind of sacrifice is an untouchable abomination? Did the Egyptians worship sheep and goats? Does untouchable here mean holy in the sense of godly? Perhaps. Ibn Ezra suggests the variant possibility that the Egyptians were proto-Hindus, vegetarians who were disgusted by the shepherding, slaughtering, and consuming of meat, or maybe cattle that literally consume precious agricultural space and produce along the Holy Nile were considered destructive, vile, unholy, and disgusting objects. Either way, a religious ritual that involves the sacrifice of Tavat Mitzrayim, either a holy or disgusting object, 
constitutes a fundamentally un-Egyptian act. The smearing of the blood of the lamb on the house constitutes a declaration of religious independence, a shattering of Egyptian cultural norms and taboos. It defines a new identity, a non-Egyptian culture loyal to the instructions of the Lord, the God of the forefathers. As such, the inclusion of the paschal sacrifice and its symbolism of religious and cultural disjunction with Egypt in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim defines the difference between the Exodus and Yitzhak Sodom. Lot never broke with Sodom. The story of leaving Egypt is precisely about differentiating not just from Egypt, but also from Lot. This brings us full circle, back to the image of Bait, and the problem of the centrality of the symbol and object of the house in the two stories. Lot's house was a hospitable place. It was a place where he maintained the traditions of Abraham, acted with kindness, and hosted guests. It served as a physical and cultural barrier against the evil of Sodom that surrounded his house. Part of the tragedy of Lot lies in the fact that his house turns out to be no more than a semi-permeable barrier, a mere membrane that the pernicious influences of Sodom have long breached. His sons-in-law consider the possibility of God destroying the evil city no more than a joke. His two virgin daughters turn out to be sophisticated enough to seduce him. His wife is so unable to separate from Sodom that it literally kills her. Finally, even Lot himself, the student of Abraham, cares so much for his guests that he offers his virgin daughters to the mob. He too has been absorbed into Sodom. In other words, the symbol of house symbolizes the failure of Lot, his integration into Sodom, and his attachment to Sodom. It foreshadows his lingering and his eventual retreat to the cave. The Sodomite without Sodom is a broken man. If so, it is understandable why the symbol of house enters the story of leaving Egypt, and at the same time as the paschal sacrifice. Putting the blood on the house, the place of the household, implicitly symbolizes the need to construct a barrier to cut the cultural tendrils that have snaked across the threshold. The Israelites must break with Egypt. They must construct a physical and cultural space that truly contains the tradition of Abraham. They must succeed where Lot had failed. They must move from the house of bondage to the house of Abraham.